Support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all new Rate Shield Approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield Approval is a real game changer, and here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. But here's the crucial part if rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. And thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Market Foolery. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. For $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com fool. That's linkedin.com fool. Terms and conditions apply. It's Thursday, September 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analyst Jason Moser and David Kretzman. Gentlemen, welcome. How you feeling? Hey, hey. Guys, you ready to talk some marijuana stocks and some snap? Always. Of course. Okay. He was going to say marijuana stocks and snacks. Yes, and, and I should, oh, absolutely. No, marijuana stocks and snap. Those are two distinct stories. I should clarify. <laughs> um, but let's let's begin with a new study on how Americans are using Facebook. Pew surveyed more than forty five hundred Americans who use Facebook. Jason and David, I want to hit you with some of the top level findings here and get your thoughts. Okay, here's what Pew found. of Facebook users 18 and over have deleted the Facebook app from their phones over the past year. And that includes 44% of users 18 to 29 who have deleted their app. 42% of users have taken a break from Facebook for at least a few weeks. And 54% of Facebook users over the last year have adjusted their privacy settings. Okay, Jason. So there's a lot there. This is about Facebook's core platform, but Facebook also owns a few small outfits like (laughs) WhatsApp and Instagram. And so we don't know when people are leaving Facebook, we don't know if they're leaving one Facebook property and going to another Facebook property. But what does it all mean for investors? I I genuinely do think that when we talk about people leaving the core Facebook app, they are going to another Facebook property in the most in most cases. Um, Now, with that said, I mean I'm sure Facebook would rather. It not be the case that people are leaving or taking a break, or at least saying that they're even taking a break. Now, with that said, I think that Facebook's overarching strategy is based on the core assumption that at some point users are going to defect somewhere else. That's just the nature of these things. That's the nature of social. We see it happen all the time. It just in everything in life, you know. I mean, eventually something new comes along and you go try something else. So, so I think going in there with that core assumption, that's why they they figured, hey, well, let's just make sure that wherever these eyeballs are going, let's have an interest there. Let's either own it or or have it be something that was a part of our universe from the very beginning. And so, whether it's Messenger, which they broke out into a separate app, or Instagram, which they acquired, or WhatsApp, which they acquired. I mean, they're testing out Instagram shopping. They're testing out Instagram direct messaging as a separate app. They're they're thinking there is that if people are going to be leaving, let's see if we can't have a big interest into where they're going. And for the most part, that is the case. So while I'm sure they don't want people defecting from Facebook proper, the fact that people are still using Instagram a lot and Messenger a lot and WhatsApp a lot. Probably helps them get to sleep. So you seem to be saying that maybe not quite as bad as the headlines suggest. I would agree with that statement. Yeah, I think the evidence suggests that if people are indeed 
taking a break or leaving the the core Facebook platform altogether. They are going to one of the other properties because this survey was conducted between May 29 and June 11th. So that that did get into the second quarter, which ended June 30th. So. Any movement that we saw in users should have been reflected in the second quarter. Of course, things can change going forward. But looking at those second quarter numbers, daily active users were steady in North America, continuing to grow in other regions around the world, especially in the Asia Pacific region, which is now about three times bigger than the North American segment as far as number of users. So. I tend to see this as something not to be too fearful of as a Facebook investor. And then just taking a step back and looking at the stock today, right now it's trading for about 25 times trailing earnings. Even though growth is decelerating in terms of revenue, this is still a company that will probably be growing revenue at a 25 or 30 percent plus clip for the foreseeable future. And earnings continue to grow alongside that. So I continue to think Facebook looks really compelling for anyone who's Thinking about where the company will be three plus years from now, they have over forty billion dollars in net cash. So, I'm not too concerned about this because the actual numbers that we saw in the second quarter don't don't really give any cause for alarm. Well, and also remember the survey that you're talking about. Really, that that was spotlighting the U.S. numbers, U.S. users. And I mean, it's really easy for us as investors here in the United States to just sort of think about investing in this little box domestically here. I mean, obviously that's not the case. It is a global world out there more so now than ever before. And Facebook is very much a global company. And use, as as David mentioned, globally speaking, is still growing. And and so. While we may be a little bit mature here, that's certainly not the case all around the world. So, when you look at Facebook, the ecosystem writ large, and we see these numbers for um, the U.S., Jason, to your point, that at least in the U.S., Facebook and its core platform people appear to be leaving um, or taking a break. In terms of Facebook's other properties, like WhatsApp and Instagram, where do you think the growth is going to come from? Is there one of those properties that you think investors should really keep an eye on? I think Instagram is something that we'll continue to see increased engagement and monetization, just as more advertisers come on and test, you know, more the video and photo format of advertising. Personally, you know, I use Instagram more than my Facebook app. I still have both, but the advertising on Instagram is very effective, just as far as hey, actually, maybe I will take the step to buy that product. And I think, as Jason mentioned, as they continue to test integrating shopping directly onto the platform, I think that'll be really effective, especially with the younger audience that Instagram appeals to. Globally, I think WhatsApp continues to provide an opportunity for monetization. Then you have the Messenger app, which also I think has over a billion users at this point, so a lot of different levers that they can pull. And then in the meantime, even the core Facebook platform is growing worldwide in regions like Asia Pacific. So even though we are getting caught up in the headlines and the pessimism today, I think given the the relatively modest valuation the company is trading for, despite continuing to grow at a pretty healthy clip, I think this this is one of my higher conviction stocks for the next three plus years. Yeah, I wonder if that stock price isn't at least reflective somewhat of perhaps conservative guidance set out by management, knowing full and well that these next few years are going to be a little bit a little bit of a tough haul. Expenses are going to are going to be on the rise. 
size. Um, I, yep. I think that when you look at most of their properties, most of them serve sort of utilitarian nature, which, which I mean, they're going to be monetizable. I mean, there are opportunities there, but to me, Instagram is the one that really stands out as the, the one with the most potential. I've always likened Instagram. Now, granted, this is coming to the perspective of never using it, but having seen it, it seems like it's a magazine, right? It's like a magazine you're looking at when you're waiting in the doctor's office, and it's just a bunch of pictures and advertisements. So it's very conducive to that environment, and and to see that they're testing out this shopping uh, capability, I think makes a lot of sense. Now the challenge there is that you're trying to groom consumers to do something a little bit different than what the app was intended uh, for them to do, right? I mean, it's a social app. Now you're trying to get people to take that next step and start shopping from that app. We've seen from from all of these social apps that's a bit of a tougher uh, accomplishment. It's easier said than done. But with that said, I think that Instagram would be the platform that that would probably have the best chance at doing that. It's not just an Amazon world. If you got people sitting there spending 50 minutes of the of the day on Instagram fiddling around doing nothing, you might as well throw some commerce out there and see if they don't want to click the buy button here or there. Okay, guys. Well, before we get to our next story, I want to mention that support for Market Foolery comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Let's talk about buying a home for a minute. Now, because of rising interest rates, there is a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home these days. It's causing a lot of anxiety with folks. Well, our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about that. They call it the power buying process. That is awesome. Now, here's how it works. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer. Then, once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, they'll lock your rate up for up to 90 days while you shop. Now, here's the best part. If rates go up, your rates stay the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. Guys, how great is that? I love that. Awesome. I actually had that capability last time we bought a house. They said, hey, here's the interest rate you got, but if it goes down, you got one shot to lock it down at that lower rate. I thought, I mean, just, you can't you can't lose. You want to you have that power as a buyer. Okay, yeah. so that's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records, equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. And guys, for our next story, we are going to turn to the world of cannabis and cannabis stocks. David Kretzman, this is an industry and an area that you follow closely, and shares have been on an incredible tear. Um, shares down a bit today, Thursday, after a downgrade of a Canadian cannabis producer, Tilray. And I want to talk Tilray, yep. because you talked to the Tilray CEO last month. This stock IPO'd in July. It's tripled. It's been on fire, and yet it's not profitable. So break it all down for us. Yeah, Tilray is a really interesting company. Like valuation aside, as far as looking at the the more established, larger Canadian producers, this is one that I think is among the more compelling. It's a founder-led company. Brendan Kennedy, the co-founder and CEO, who I spoke to last month at a conference in Toronto, he he's actually the co-founder of Privateer Holdings, which is a private equity venture capital firm that basically started Tilray and a variety of other cannabis 
various companies, including consumer sites like Leafly. But anyway, Tilray went public this year, and currently their market cap is over eight billion dollars. But they 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 have kind of a good reputation within the industry. They were the first Canadian producer to export product internationally to to Europe. They tend to be much more disciplined. They're not spending a bunch of money on kind of crazy acquisitions like some of the other producers, which are just issuing shares like crazy to just consolidate within the industry. They've been much more disciplined, building out a global footprint for the cannabis space. But with that said, their trailing sales are still minimal. I think Jason mentioned, as we were prepping for this, they're trading for about 250 times trailing revenue. So, you might be asking, why did they trip? Which is a lot. We that's that's a lot. That, that's on the higher <laughs> end of the spectrum, for sure. So, thinking thinking through it, why would Tilray be on such a tear, even more so than a lot of other cannabis stocks, which have been doing so well? Part of it is that they they are they they are a little bit more established. Instead of doing what's called a reverse takeover in Canada, which is essentially where a cannabis producer would merge with a shell public company to go public, so that way you don't have to go through the traditional channels. You don't have to issue a prospectus. You don't have to do all the filings. It's yeah. kind of like just a backdoor way to go public. They actually went public direct on the Nasdaq, so they actually did the formal process of meeting with banks. They they issued an S one or a prospectus. Uh, then, in addition to that, I think the, the cannabis industry as a whole is really just riding the wave uh, from the news last month, where Constellation Brands, the uh, wine and spirits company behind Corona and a bunch of other brands, invested $4 billion into what's currently the, the top cannabis company, Canopy Growth, which is now valued at $11.5 billion. So, you just think about it, a $4 billion cash infusion into Canopy Growth, that's for a 38% stake. Uh, in that case, you have a mainstream, established company and an established industry, alcohol, making a huge commitment to the cannabis space. So that that's really been, I think, a catalyst for so much more attention and interest in the sector. So that's a long, rambling way of saying there are a variety of factors that are contributing to this. But yeah, I think if you're an investor today, I think there are better opportunities and safer opportunities to get some exposure to the cannabis space. Yeah, and I think that I mean what you're seeing is just basic economics at play. There is a limited supply of investment opportunities in this space, and I mean most of us who at least are proponents of legalization look at this as an attractive market opportunity. Ultimately, it's going to take a little while to get there. I think it's going to be a little bit of a ball rolling concept here domestically, but as more states legalize it, it just becomes a sort of a self fulfilling prophecy there. And ultimately, I think at the federal level, we have no issues. It'll take some time to get there, but as that happens, more and more opportunities come into the fray. That increases that supply. Then all of a sudden, you have more options as far as where to put your investment dollars. And I think that's the biggest problem right now is that, sure, Tilray has a lot of promise, but there are a lot of red flags there. David mentioned a number of them already. So, you have to consider that and think, well, perhaps it's a decent opportunity, but perhaps the price right now doesn't really make sense at all. And it really doesn't. Like, I mean, if you invest in this company at today's price, you're going to lose money. I would be willing to bet my life on that. And I know that's a bold statement, but it's insane. Like, it doesn't make any money. Like, it's not profitable. And even to get there, like, it's still just based on a commodity. So, this is a very, very early, early space. 
give it some time, learn about it, wait for some of those better opportunities to come online, and figure out how they're going to monetize this. Because ultimately, it still is just a commodity. At the end of the day, it's not about growing it; it's more about what you do with it from there. David mentioned building those brands, building that awareness in the space. I think that's going to be a really important way to to find those opportunities. It just takes some time to get there. So I'm going to count you as skeptical, Jason Moser. Is that fair? <laughs> skeptical on the company, but but very bullish on the market opportunity in general. Well, yeah, right right now, all all these cannabis companies for the most part have a very limited or even non-existent track record so you only have maybe at most a few years of revenue and usually that's still very minimal but uh, going forward I think what is kind of supporting these lofty valuations today is the anticipation of more deals similar to the constellation canopy deal if a company came along and invested two billion dollars into Tilray or any any huge amount you're, you're just gonna see that that excitement and that buzz because uh, because you already have hey, there you go you gotta, gotta use these while we can because I mean you already have constellation brands uh, making that, those investments Molson Coors Canada uh, they, they announced a joint venture and no pun intended there, with another Canadian <laughs> producer last month. But then you think about pharmaceutical companies, tobacco, other alcohol companies like Diageo, which are rumored to be meeting with these Canadian producers. There's so much based on future hype and expectations. Some of it legitimate, but in the meantime, you have really every cannabis company riding the wave, whether it's legitimate or not. So, if you're an investor, what is the best way to play this space? If Jason is right about Tilray, do you do you take a stock like a Molson, or do you take a stock that's like one step removed, or do you get a basket of the cannabis producers, or what's the best way for investors to approach this? What we what we've been doing in Marijuana Mavericks, which is a service we launched in June in Canada, uh, we we took the basket approach. So we tried to find we basically took uh, ten different companies, including three picks and shovels companies, and I'll just say that Constellation Brands was one of them. So we're looking at the the producers, some U.S. operators that are public on the Canadian exchanges. Trying to find companies that, granted, their valuations still look lofty, but they're doing something to differentiate themselves. Focus on building brands or building distribution, retail, something like that, and starting with a small position across all ten of those companies. And then we're just looking to start small, follow those companies over time, learn about those companies in the industry over time, and look to add to the companies that do end up gaining some meaningful, tangible traction and add to those winners over time. So, we're, we've recommended to our members, like anything you invest in this cannabis basket should probably be a smaller percentage of your own portfolio. I personally invested my own money in those 10 recommendations, and I started with about 5% of my total portfolio. So, if those stocks drop 50%, that would sting, but it wouldn't damage my overall returns too much. So I think taking that approach where you're diversifying across some promising companies, starting small, I think that's a good way to go. Basket approach. I've heard about that Sounds somewhere. Fun. I know. I didn't, you you, you didn't trademark that, Jason. <laughs> I know. So. That's true. That's true. Okay, guys. Well, before we get to our last story, I want to say thanks to LinkedIn. The right hire can make a huge impact on your business. That's why it's so important to find the right person. And that's where LinkedIn comes in. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on their skills, interest, and even how open they are to new opportunities. That's why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. That's incredible, every 10 seconds. LinkedIn is more than the world's largest professional network. Guys, it's also a better way to find great talent. Listen to a few of these numbers. 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn. And businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week. 
and that's in every industry. If you're not using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, you're missing out. Hurry to linkedin.com slash fool for $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. And guys, let's close with the ongoing saga that is Snap. Now, yeah, I was figuring we'd finish, we'd close with the cannabis story. Therefore, we're closing on a high note. Uh, but yeah, now it's, we it's the, the opposite, right? It's a we're low closing note. Closing on a low note. It is uh, a bummer. low note. <laughs> Snap on Thursday, falling below ten dollars for the first time. That is a new low, um, eclipsing the week's previous new lows. Now. Guys, this comes as Snap has just launched a new style of glasses, spectacles. They look more like sunglasses, Jason. I thought they were pretty snazzy when really? I went online and looked at them. Um, I don't own any. Being too nice. Um, but just, just, to, just to kind of set the table here, spectacles you know, allow the wearer to take pictures and shoot video. Um, but I got to ask, Jason, spectacles, are they going to help this stock? Is this latest version, is this latest much more fashionable looking spectacles. Is that going to help Snap, or is this lipstick on a pig? I mean, it uh, worked so well last time. Yeah, it's the latter. <laughs> I mean, I think I said yesterday on Twitter. I mean, I want to add one more thing to those certainties in life. You've got death taxes, and apparently now annualized write downs on spectacles inventory from Snap. <laughs> Because there is no, I mean, this, this, I, I, I don't even know. It's, it's, it's befuddling actually why they continue to try. To advance in in this particular space, I mean, the one sort of obvious question that always keeps coming back to me is: if you ask yourself if Snap is a camera company, I mean, that's what they that's what they claim to be, and so that's that's fine. And they're going to pursue cameras via wearables. I mean, is this the wearables company you want to place your money on? Because I mean. There are a lot bigger companies out there that have a lot more experience in this space. Alphabet, Apple. I mean, they've already been working on producing wearables and, and certainly glasses we've seen from Google. And I know Apple is, is looking at the space as well. So I just I wonder, I mean, is this the company that you even want to place your bet on where that's concerned? So they find themselves in a very tough predicament because they're not really a social media company. Um, you didn't see him up there in DC yesterday testifying on Capitol Hill because that's not really the nature of that platform. They are a self-proclaimed camera company, and I'm not sure exactly how attractive a market that is, particularly if you're producing cameras that apparently a lot of people aren't really in the market for. Um, so, I mean, I, I appreciate that they are trying, but the fact of the matter is that I think this is a business that went public far earlier than it probably should have. Didn't really have a clear vision of where it wanted to go. Was extremely overpriced. Is still extremely overpriced today. I think even now at around twelve billion dollar market cap. Um, and then you ultimately have to ask how big and how profitable will this company actually be? I think it can exist as as a successful business. Don't get me wrong. I don't think this is some uh, straight shot to zero. I just think that it's 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 going to be very limited in what it's going to have to offer based on just Snapchat today because that is a smaller network. I don't know that they have the opportunity to grow to be the size of something like an Instagram or even really a Twitter for that matter. Um, so uh, yeah, you have to, you have to really take into consideration how profitable you think they can be based on what we know today. Uh, and unfortunately for them, I think there probably is still some room uh, to go a little bit further okay. down. Okay, so one of the more positive things I heard you say there is that <laughs> this is not a straight shot to zero. Glass half full, guy. <laughs> there you yeah. go. So, no, I mean that's... so it, it feels relatively dire. So so David and Jason, I want you to get in on this. If you're going to save Snap, if five years from now we're looking at this stock and we're saying 
boy, were we wrong. This stock was wildly successful, and it crushed the market. What happened? Well, I, I think the the larger issue for Snap, and, and the reason I don't think this Spectacles announcement really is much of a game-changer for them, is that I, I think that the bigger issue that they need to address is that engagement from the users that they do have. Uh, in, in the second quarter, we saw daily active users actually drop a little bit. And I just don't see Spectacles as something that moves the needle to drive more engagement on the platform. So, I, I don't really know what the answer is looking out over the next five years, but uh, they clearly need to do something to grow the user base as much as they can, and then also find ways to increase engagement with, with those users. So, if it's something with original content or video, something to differentiate themselves. But to, to, to that end, Instagram is essentially doing the same thing and doing it better with a larger audience. So, it's hard for me to see what can snap. What can the Snapchat app do that Instagram can't immediately copy or replicate? And in some cases, I think Instagram is actually, they're not just copying Snapchat, although they have done that in the past, but with something like shopping, I don't think anyone's ever going to be shopping on Snapchat, or at least anytime soon, whereas Instagram has a platform that I think is more conducive to to the shopping experience. So it's a tough question, but whatever would help Snapchat. It has to be increasing users and increasing engagement. So, stylish-looking sunglass-type glasses that allow you to take pictures and video, that's not doing it for you? I don't think so. It didn't do it the first time around. I don't see yeah. what's, what's much. These these glasses are even more expensive than the last one. I was going to say, they look like they came straight out of a gumball machine. I mean, you're, you're giving them a lot of credit with stylish, man. Um, I mean, I think Consider that the for, source here. I think for Snap to be successful, I, I think they take a page out of Facebook's strategy, right? They, they become something more than just Snapchat. I mean, they have to be a family of apps that that is garnering more eyeballs because that's ultimately what what makes or breaks you in this space. So it's it's going to be probably an acquisition. There's not something I think they can break out of the actual Snapchat app to to grow users, so to speak. So I think an acquisition. Uh, to broaden that customer base, to broaden that user base, at least gives them a shot. But as as things stand today, it's it's just very limited in what it's going to be able to do. And I think if they are looking to make an acquisition, they got to do it soon before the stock yeah. drops more. Because right now they do have one half billion dollars of net cash in the bank, which is great. But they're burning over nine hundred million dollars of cash a year, so that really only gives them about. 18 months of run rate or leeway, given their the current rate that they are burning cash, and if you're making an acquisition and using stock, you know, as the currency to make that acquisition, you don't want to do it when your shares are lower and you have to issue more shares and dilute your shareholders even more to make that purchase. So I think they got to do something soon because the rate that they're burning cash really doesn't give them a whole lot of flexibility. And what about Snap being acquired? Well, I mean, Facebook tried to acquire Snap back in the day. Now, granted, I think that was for around $3 billion, and the company is still worth $12 billion today. So you can do the math and see that technically they're still better off being public today. But um, I, I just don't know who would actually want to go in there and acquire them for $12 billion today. I think an acquisition would put them in the position of being a desperate seller. I think that anybody who was going to go in there, like an Alphabet or even a Facebook or something, would probably be able to go in there and command their own price at this point. Because, like David was saying, they're really they're really caught between a rock and a hard place. Okay, guys. Well, I think I know how this is going to net out. I'm not 100% positive, but I want to close with my desert island poll. <laughs> you should not invest this way. It's totally arbitrary. But over the next five years, if you're on a desert island and you can own one of these stocks, who are you going with? Facebook, Tilray, 
or snap? Oh man, well, you have to even really ask that. Yeah, okay, that, let me throw in let me let me throw in a cannabis basket. <laughs> a cannabis basket. Ah, uh, cannabis basket. Facebook, okay. Tilray, or Snap. Oh, I'm going the cannabis basket. Yeah, I'll I'll echo that. I would go with the cannabis basket. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Okay, guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Matt. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email. If you have questions, comments, if you have thoughts on the cannabis basket on Facebook, Tilray, or Snap. Um, As always, thanks for joining us, and people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on Monday.